Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Papercut. This week, we'll be discussing the better angels of our nature, why violence has declined, 2011 by Steven Pinker. In general, it might seem that the world is all doom and gloom, and that violence is all over the news and all we get. Steven Pinker, psychologist in this Paramount book, goes on to describe how violence has in fact gone down over history. His book is broken down into three parts, and in the first part of his book, he talks about trends that show the decline of such violence. In the second part of his book, he goes on to talk about why he thinks these things happen. And in the final parts of his book, he talks about the better angels of our nature that facilitate such declines, and also things that might prevent this trend from continuing. So, before I delve into this book, I'll just share some thoughts about it. So I think for me, when I read this book, it was a very long book. And I'll full disclaimer, I audiobooked this one. And it was one of the first audiobooks I've actually gone through. And it was chunky. Like, I think <laughs> it was about th- almost 30 hours or something like that of just listening. And I'll tell you this, like, I don't know which is better listening or reading it. Because I feel like if I read it, I might actually lose my trail of thought. Not because it was boring, but because it was just so damn long. The only good thing about reading it is you have those figures in front of you and you can see the pictures and everything. But otherwise, like, listening is just fine. It's read out by this, like, really old-sounding white guy. Yeah. And there's one part where he has to quote rappers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> is there something like rapping for Jesus? Oh, my God. I mean, it sounds like that. I know. And he has to quote Edwin Starr's, you know? War. Ugh, yeah. Oh no, he couldn't get it. Uh, oh, right. He couldn't get the uh out. And so he was just like, war. Uh. <laughs> Regardless how I look at the the audiobook has like these little gems that you can look out for. And the book itself, I'm I'm sure I've seen it in bookstores, it is massive. How long is uh well, as in how many pages? Oh, I really don't know. I think it's like 500 or something like that. 500. Oh. It's, it's long. I remember it was very long. And it's, but it's also like, you have to understand when these kinds of books, right? When we say it's 500, well, it's probably closer to like maybe 400 pages of words and then the 100 pages of, of appendix and notes. True, true. I mean, some people read that, not me. I tried to read that and then I realized that I really can't be asked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed this book because for me, I remember at the time, like, you know, you'd open the news, Everything you see is like violence, everything's getting worse, someone's dying, a school shooting's happening, like people just, it's just awful. And so it's quite refreshing. This book, even though it was written in 2011, for me when I read it, it was um, a few years, almost half a decade after that. When I was reading this one, it was still like, wow, this stuff is still relevant because the time scale he looks at is pretty much the whole of human history up until the 20th century. Okay. And he says this from the outset. The past is a foreign country. It is so different and so violent back then. I don't know, I feel much happier to live in these times knowing what it was like in the past. So, um, very quickly, if you've ever heard the phrase better angels of our nature, I'll say right now, it wasn't Steven Pinker that called it. Guess who said it first, this phrase, the better angels of our nature? I actually am not sure, I don't know. So... It was actually Abraham Lincoln that said it first in one of his addresses. In context of, I guess, like slavery or just in general? Slavery and civil war, yeah. Um, I think it was one of the addresses. I'm not too sure, but here's how the quote goes. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies, 
Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. I don't know why I went all raspy there, but anyway. That's that... fine. At least it's not an uh, old white guy trying to do Edwin Starr. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I mean, I'm going to ask you this, you know, Eugene, like, nowadays, you know, you read the news, whatever you do, like, do you feel that violence in general has gone, like, up, down? What do you think? What do you think of it nowadays? I would say uh, violence has gone down, but not because people want to commit less acts of violence, but more so because there's more control over it. Mm. There's more condemnation on the use of violence on today's society than before. Right. So, yeah. I think in general, if you're just talking about violent acts, then yes, they have gone down. Like, I haven't punched a guy for um, a very long time. <laughs> and at times when I want to, you know, I know I shouldn't do that. And I'm sure you have those times as well. Yeah. It's like, last time I punched a guy was Taekwondo classes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good to start, like, this sort of conversation as well, because a bit of optimism in these sort of gloomier times that we live in and saying that actually... It's just things have improved and we might not be able to see it directly. But when we put it in context, in comparison to things in the past, it's just a lot better. Because this book's massive. I I don't want to cover everything, especially in 30 minutes. It doesn't do the book justice. So I'll just talk about some of the trends that I found very interesting. And one of the ones I found very interesting is wartime deaths or deaths from certain events, okay? And the book has certain events written down as like, it could be things like genocide, slave trades, wars, people who come into power, certain people who come into power, all these types of things. And they've contributed to their own deaths. Um, of course, it makes disclaimers like, how do you actually calculate these deaths and everything? So the book goes into it. But in terms of number of deaths due to events by absolute terms, here are the top five, okay? See if you recognize them. The top five deadliest events in the history of mankind by in terms of absolute terms, so number of people dead. Number one, World War II, 55 million people. Number two, Mao Zedong, 40 million people dead. Number three, the Mongol conquest, 40 million people dead. Number four, the Anlu Shan revolt, 36 million people dead. And number five, the fall of the Ming dynasty, 25 million people dead like those are a lot of people there's a lot of people right but you see in this list I didn't even know about 4 and 5 I didn't know about Anushan I didn't know about the fall of the Ming dynasty I think the only reason I knew of those is because um, they've been talked about in very I guess discreet manner Um, in my uh, I I, th- I think like even during uh, films and such like as mentioned so like An Lushan An Lushan Revolt has been sort of mentioned in one of the Stephen Chow films that I like to watch so that's the only reason I know about it although I didn't know that it was this deadly yeah. oh man the, okay so when he, when he did this he found that these were absolute numbers but it doesn't show you the scale. So the best way to actually show you the scale of how deadly these were was to sort of ramp everything up to 20th century populations. You, you find the percentage of people who died in terms of the world population back then, and then you multiply that percentage by like the population of the 20th century. And the list changes, okay? When you do that, the five deadliest events were these five, okay? 
Number one, the Anlushan Revolt. When scaled for the 20th century population, 429 million people dead. Number two, the Mongol conquest, 278 million people dead. Number three, the Mid-East slave trade, from the 7th century to the 19th century, 132 million people dead. Number four, the fall of the Ming dynasty, 112 million people dead. And number five, the fall of Rome, 105 million people dead. Interesting. Um, I'm just a little bit curious on why the slave trade is put together with a bunch of, I guess, wars. Because slave trade wasn't really a war, was it? It wasn't a war, but I suppose like you would look at that entire thing as more of an event, as in that happened. It's like a man-made, artificial, um, causing death event. Is that kind of like the definition of how to put into this, like what's put into this list? Exactly. Okay. It's a bit like, if it didn't happen, these people wouldn't have died sort of thing. And obviously if slave trade didn't happen, like, you know, yeah. slaves wouldn't be dead. But that was, that's crazy. And also it's, well, a bit sensitive to say it nowadays, but the Atlantic slave trade compared to the middle the mid east slave trade i think when you add them together the atlantic slave trade is only worth like 25% of all the slaves ever traded or something like that jeez i mean it gets more attention but also like to put things into perspective it's not it just shows how, how how large it was right it's just, just crazy it really is crazy like slaves like we talked about this just now like where does the word slave come from Slavs, right? Slavs, yeah. exactly. Like the original slaves were the Slavic people, and then, well, they didn't become they didn't become slaves anymore, but they were the original Slav uh, slaves. So they grim go. stuff, grim stuff, grim stuff. Obviously, like when you hear stuff like this, it's worth noting two things. So, main critics of these sort of trends, the first one says he's cherry picking. I can see. You can see, right? I, yeah, I can see that. Because, like you yeah. said, I think you pointed out very correctly, like. How is the Middle Eastern slave trade, how is that an event? Because it's gone on for like, what, 12 centuries almost. Because I was thinking like, you know, you can technically talk about, I guess, the conquest of Alexander the Great. Or maybe, or maybe, maybe he has, but I'm not sure. But I'm just saying like, um, or maybe the plague, for example, one can say, oh, maybe it's mishandling by nature of human... Um, human poor management, you know, human error. And should that be factored in? That kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. And also, like, the biggest killer in the First World War in that period was not the war, but the disease that came after, the Spanish influenza. So it's stuff like that. Like, how do you actually quantify this? And he goes into further details about this in his book. Like, where, where do you actually, when do you actually count a death? Does a death count, like, when someone's shot? Like, yes, that counts. Does it count if they get shot? brought back home and die of like the infection a few years later does that count does it count if there's a disease that spreads soon after where do you actually draw the line so yeah it's a good point the second main arc main counterpoint to what he's proposed put out is sort of the time scale as well well so for example the middle eastern slave trade was 12 centuries to ramp up to so many deaths factor in factor that in with world war ii like you had what six years of it and basically gas chambers killing people by the hundreds of thousands of millions right so when you put into when you factor in the time factor you realize actually these things these figures would shift around a bit more so it's stuff like that as well these are the two main arguments i've heard about i feel like he should have done uh, definitely a time constraint on that as well like per by year for example 
as you say here, like Middle Eastern slave trade, twelve centuries, Andalusian revolt. You know, it, it, it happened over like what decades, Ten, like decades, right? Yeah. So, so that's less than a century, less than half a century. Less than half. A century. Yeah, exactly. So, I think if you if you like scale those up to like what would happen in one century, then it will be more. It will be more reflective, I guess, of the actual deadliness of the conflict. Exactly. So, because I can say the same thing about um, the Dark Ages, right? A lot mm. of people got persecuted and like killed in the Dark Ages, but this this doesn't get shown here because it was shown it was over such a long period of time, I guess. But if you were to scale it up, then maybe. That's exactly like a point that I think should have been brought up as well. I guess you know he's a it's a lot to get through in the book, and maybe he did explain. Maybe I'm not presenting it very well, but I think that's like, you know, up to whoever reads it to come. Leave I a think comment. in any case, though, um, I do see the point of. I I do see his point of saying just by judging from those numbers, you can see how, nowadays there's definitely a lot less death due to conflicts. As opposed to before, although actually, as I was saying that, I'm thinking there are ongoing conflicts going on. Yeah, that may that there might be a lot of people dying, but because those conflicts haven't haven't been resolved yet, we don't know the exact consequences of them until they end. Yeah. So, for example, when World War Two was going on, we you know people are dying, but you don't know how many people are Die. dead until the war is over. And I feel like there's there's a little bit of that here. Because by definition, we don't know how many people will die with ongoing conflicts because we don't know when they're going to end. Exactly. So we only get statistics from the past. Yeah. So for example, nowadays,、uh, if the Syrian conflict ended like、um, in a year or two, and we found out like, oh, actually, like a lot of people, like two million people, died, right? Just example, just、um, for example.、Mm-hmm. Then will this still hold true? Saying like, oh,、um, people don't die as much nowadays in conflicts nowadays. So yeah,、mm. just a thought. Definitely, it definitely is a thought. But I think also like there's this. I think this. So this is one example that I've picked out like in terms of deadly conflicts. And I think, but the general trend is still downwards. If that makes sense. Yeah.、So、I think that's the sort of thing he was trying to go at because if you look at、uh, the time between like the start to about the twentieth century, you see that actually the even then the decline the trend is still downwards, and he has his reasons for this. Except in the twentieth centuries, except for those two massive blips, the general trend has been downward. But I think maybe it's one of those things where I'm not really putting it out very、uh, thoroughly because it's quite hard to put all these things out thoroughly. It's a like I said, a thick book. So I think you're right. Like it's also hard to actually distinguish like when does it end? When do when do we start counting those deaths? I'm gonna do the cheeky thing and sort of sidestep <laughs> away from sort of the wars and Leave stuff. Leave this one to the audience. Leave this one to the audience. <laughs> And、uh, let's go for like other trends that he's pointed out. Okay, so another interesting one that he's pointed out, I found, was this thing called the rights revolution. So、yep. this period of history where everyone started getting rights. So let's start with the most obvious one:、uh, women's rights. Back in the good old days,、uh, if like you could be, you could be husband and wife, and if, as a husband, if I beat my wife up, people will be like, you know, whatever, it's wife, whatever. Domestic abuse is not a thing. Nowadays, you do that, someone's gonna get hurt real bad. Like both sides are gonna, it's just gonna be ugly for everyone. Yeah, I think no, it, we definitely have a lot more recognition on different, I'd say statuses. Yeah. So different statuses 
on society. But I'm just trying to think, like, um, about in regards to women's rights, mm-hmm. um, as one of, one of the examples, because was it equal rights back? Like I'm saying, way back, maybe in ancient Greek, for example, because didn't they have like a equal society? So, what I'm trying to say is maybe the rights have declined, and then now they're getting they're getting re recognized instead of like we are getting those rights for the first time. I mean, it potentially.、Uh, I don't know if we actually went that far back, but I think. This one is a bit hard to answer because we have to look in the context of sort of the world. So if we're only talking about ancient Greece, then maybe it would have been more equal. I doubt it though, because how many famous female philosophers can you name from ancient Greece? Hmm. True. Right. Maybe Plato was female. You don't know. You never know. You know.、Uh, he had he had pretty long hair from the.、Uh, oh, sorry. She might have free long hair. Oh, you never know exactly. <laughs> and when the movie comes out, Plato is actually a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, transgender woman. Never know.、Uh, I mean, potentially, it really could be. But in terms of the context of the world, like, it really wasn't like that. And even if it was the case where there was a time when women were like very equal compared to men in the ancient times, it definitely didn't survive. And、yeah. nowadays, what we're seeing is it's lasting. Like the rights movement has for women started. Well, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, and has, well, it kept going basically. Suffrage move, suffragette movements to like movement of the nineteen sixties, and I think I think it was mentioned. I don't remember too clearly, but also talks about the creation of the birth control pill as a massive boost to sort of women's rights. Because all of a sudden you could change the game, you could control your own reproductive、oh, yeah. system. So I think it does talk about that. But I might have confused it with another book, so I, for the sake, for my own sake, I'm gonna leave it at there. And I think I'm happy to go onto this topic in future episodes when I know that that book actually talks about it.、Okay. But I think that's something to bear in mind as well. That's an interesting connection, though. Like I never actually connected those two together explicitly until you said it like that just now. Yeah. Yeah. Food for thought. Food for thought. I mean, another interesting one: children's rights. So when you hear about the industrial revolution, you hear like kids being scampers, like they just go in, gather things, fix things up, because they can squeeze into small spaces, right? Yeah. And back then, the whole concept of childhood never existed. You were seen as a child, as a small man. The moment you can walk, you just help your dad in the fields, like till the farm and everything. I mean, like back then, right? Didn't people? Oh, actually, no, that's a myth. I was gonna say like. Didn't people not live to that old? But I realized that's a myth,、uh, right? I think because they, people did live to sixty, but the child, the the whole average age is eighteen or thirty kind of stuff is because a lot of childbirth, there's a lot of like stillborn child. Exactly. Yeah, because beforehand, you you keep hearing people even nowadays going like, oh yeah, when I was young, my dad would spank me. He would like, he would use a stick and he he would like beat me until I like a.、Uh, Uh, until until I would apologize or until I would admit I was wrong. But nowadays, if you do that, you're like boom off to jail. Yeah, exactly, right.、Yeah. So there you go. Children's rights like have gone up. Like even apparently there are cases where like you know you have to censor books because the children can't take it, or you have to censor dodgeball because the children might get hurt. Oh yeah. So you have stuff like that now. Whereas back then it's like, pfft, the kid got spanked. Oh well, what what are you gonna do? So you got a bruise. Well, tough. What are you gonna do? So, and then、uh, the book goes on about like. Homosexuality and sort of transgender rights as well, and race rights. 
it just goes to show that as a society we've become more civilized quote unquote in that sense he gives a few reasons for this okay and one of the main reasons i think you said quite rightly it might not be that humans are getting better it's actually because there's a system involved and so in one of the very first points he makes in the book is that when we're born our moral compasses are a little bit out of wonk and it's up to society to educate us in sort of the right ways the civilized ways to act so it's not all doom and gloom and one of, and he proposes a few reasons for why like things have gone down so the big one like you've mentioned already is the system and we call it leviathan basically if there are two people at uh, who are have a dispute with each other it's much better for a third party to come in a third party with a stake in both their welfare to come in and oversee and try to resolve it so in the case of crime if you have a victim and a and a criminal it's much better for the state to come in and sort of oversee and try to dish out justice rather than them two fighting it out because them two just fighting it out might lead to more problems whereas if the leviathan comes in and sorts that thing out ideas it comes on less this is from hobbesian theory that's interesting because i literally i saw that book yesterday in in my house there and i go. put that in my my, my in my like a to read list Oh, it's on my it's like a list. social contract theory, right? Exactly. Yeah. Social contract. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's one of them. Number two, commerce. So it turns out, and I love this quote as well, two countries with McDonald's are less likely to go to war with one another. <laughs> oh my God. That is so true. That's really true, right? And it's and I think that goes to show like because if you're at McDonald's, you know, you go for countries that are relatively stable, not going to blow each other up, sort of thing. Like rich enough to even host a McDonald's or a franchise of McDonald's, right? When countries and their economies are more explicitly and explicably tied together, there's less incentive to go to war. Because I was actually gonna say when you mentioned the whole. rights going up thing i was gonna say that this could be a direct cause of globalization it might be yeah exactly although i also think that the um i think it's also due to the fact that the education level of the general populace has gone up i'm glad you brought that up because that was actually another point that he's makes in the book as well so in general he calls it cosmopolitanism basically everyone's like education has gone up value of life has gone up too and there's a very interesting idea here that during the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries people you know so back then like religion right all your values based on your soul you repent enough you get to heaven yeah right and during the enlightenment there was this switch from placing the value on the soul to placing value on human life instead so what you do in this life as to what you will do when you die right so in that sense, like you said, human life became more valuable, or he puts it that way at least. Like Stephen Pinker actually says, like, life has become more valuable. And I think that goes to show as well, like, you know, like you said, when you educate someone, you're investing in someone, you're putting more value into someone. Yeah, and, and so you would, have to, you would have to take their opinions to account more, right? Exactly. And like, yeah, exactly. Humanism, like the idea that human life is actually more, is actually very valuable rather than just a pawn in like a giant puzzle uh, giant game of yeah. chess not just bodies you can throw in uh, whatever revolt you can find in history <laughs> and all of a sudden like when you realize your life is quite valuable everyone's like i don't want to fight <laughs> yeah i want to live my life you know i want to start a podcast talking about books exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one that i've already mentioned is 
he, now this one is going to catch I feel like it's one of those these are one of those things where I feel like if it was said in now today's terms without any context it would get blasted but uh, let me explain it he calls this one the feminization process where we take the in and when you hear feminization process you might think is it because women are weak is it because women are da, 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 da? no it's the idea that we do take like so women's um, issues and more of women's um, values into account more into the decision making process so like how so how you feel like will this affect you put the, that stuff into process as well and into perspective that sort of feeds into it but goes into it a bit more like I didn't really pay attention too much into this admittedly but it does go into a lot of detail into it so is it like kind of the idea of before a lot of um, decisions are made from like a male perspective and now you're having sort of both perspective on the table and you're you're thinking about the consequences from both sides instead of just one yeah exactly because there are some things where like I think this is the best example there's some things that guys like me will never figure out so for example I'll, I know we live in Hong Kong right and the Victoria's Secret near me just closed down and I my complaint was you look at the models and pictures they were showing of the Victoria's Secret models they were all like sort of white Latino black in Hong yeah. Kong and I told my I told my parents and my sisters this and I'm like why aren't you showing you know local girls because you can think like oh yeah that's what I would look like if I wore Victoria's Secret and my my sister my dad was like yeah you're right like why don't they do that <laughs> and my and my sisters and my mom just went no I don't care about that really like sometimes you just want to see it doesn't really matter like the color of the skin like you just want to see someone else wear it it doesn't actually matter mm, so I was interesting. like see it's stuff like that like you just don't notice it yeah like, and when Victoria's Secret was founded by a guy, so I don't feel bad at all for saying any of this. <laughs> Victoria's Secret. Victoria's like. Secret, exactly. <laughs> and I think the last one, like you've mentioned already, to do with education, is this idea of like reason being put to the forefront. So instead of beating each other up, we try to reason with each other. Yeah. And then beat each other up when we don't see each other's reason. <laughs> When we're out of reach of the, uh, when we're out of reach of CCTV. When we're out of yeah. reach of CCTV. And then when they ask what's happening, oh, just slip and fell. Slip and fell. <laughs> His words hurt too much. <laughs> oh, Gave man. me a bruise right under my right eye. But it was his words, not his fist. Ex- oh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words... Never hurt me. Exactly. Never hurt me. And so all these things culminate in this idea that for the entirety of human history almost, it's been war. A lot of war, a lot of bloodshed. And this, uh, he calls, and Steven Pinker calls this the long peace. So from the period, uh, at the, from the beginning of the 20th century to now, he calls it the long peace. Besides those two blips in the middle of the 20, and the early and middle 20th century, he calls this the long peace. Even the Cold War, at its worst, we still didn't go to war. Yeah. So I think that's, but how he strikes here's it. a counterpoint right? mm. do you think we o- we think that history has been violent because only the violent stuff gets documented so a lot mm. of a lot of good stuff happens but we don't learn about that what I'm trying to say is you learn about say all those conquests yeah in you know back in the 15th century or whatever or like persecution or those are all like bloody events but like you can name those a lot better than all the good stuff that's a ha- that has happened in those 
um, in those period, and I'm sure good stuff has happened in those period. But even now, I'm trying to think of one, and maybe I'm like you know nervous or something. I can't think of anything yet.、Mm-hmm. But do you think it's it's it appears to be violent because that's what humans tend to document, like the violent stuff, right? Yeah. So for example, like the Tang Dynasty, there was like a whole five hundred, well, three hundred years. I think so. Yeah. Or yeah, like there was a whole period of like people, like people、thrive. would yeah would thrive. It was like a strong economy.、Uh, I think like there were stories of like、uh, oh yeah, back then people would open the doors and go to sleep and they won't they won't care. But you know, now when we talk about or, or like in this in this session, like、mm. all we've talked about the Tang Tang Dynasty is the,、um, the Anushan the Anushan Revolution. Yeah. Right. Or I can say the same thing about Mongol Empire, right?、Mm-hmm. So, as much as much stuff,、uh, as much people who have died with the Mongol Empire, we still all kind of related to Genghis Khan. So, like, <laughs> can it be like that he has contributed to like a growth of population? That's one way to look at it. I think I see your point. Like, are we just focusing on the wrong things? And I think. The point you brought up is one of the main criticisms of the book as well, like cherry picking.、Yeah. You're cherry picking data points to sit to fit your narrative, and there's definitely an element of that. I think in terms of human history, the things that were documented were the good times, because if it was the shit times, things would get destroyed, right? Whereas if it was good times, you document, you collect information, you store, you write them down. Whereas if it was like war times, you would probably not write too much down unless it was like army provisions. You would only like you only start making culture when times are good, I guess, and peace times. So, so you're it, saying like the 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 good things get inherited instead of told. I think they get passed down. I don't think we talk about them as much. In I,、oh, th- yeah. it's one of those things where, like, I think all of it is there. All the evidence and、um, sources to show that the good times were good is there. But I don't think we talk about it that much because, let's face it, the war stuff is more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, I think maybe maybe for this book in particular,、um, there could be a little bit of bias on it. But maybe to prove his point, he has to be a little bit. Exactly. So that's fair enough. That was just like a devil's advocate moment I had. No, no, that's fair enough. I mean, you you say devil's advocate, but it's a very very fair criticism. Like people have said it. People have said it.、Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, I think we're coming close to the end of the session. Um, would you recommend? I would highly recommend this book for anyone、okay. who feels that the world's got to shit. I feel like if you feel like the world's all doom and gloom, I would highly recommend any and all Stephen Pinker's books. Give you a sense of hope, you know. Gives us that not all is doom. Re- it really does. So, like another one, I hope we'll get to go over one day is one of his later ones called Enlightenment Now. Basically, it's a bit of a more optimistic approach to some certain events in the world. Though he doesn't call himself an optimist, but anyway, I'll leave that for another time. But for this book, the better angels are nature. It gets a solid, highly recommended for me.、Uh, really changed the way I looked at things as well. Not only from just the historical sense, because Steven Pinker, he's a he's a psychologist. So from a psychological sense, biology, all these sort of senses, it really does shape how I view certain events now. And I could not recommend this enough. Oh, nice. Well, I will I definitely go add that to my already massive list. already massive list. Well, I think、uh, we should be about on time. So, thanks for joining us this week. 
And uh, join us next week as we talk about more books. Um, until then, this is Papercut. I'm Eugene. And I'm Nick. Peace out. <laughs>